0: Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for joining us tonight in the Pasta Book Club, the podcast where we read, analyze, and discuss significant creepypastas, no-sleeps, and web-horror flash fiction. We are your hosts, Jonah and Wednesday. And today, we continue Mother Horse Eyes with Part 5, Narratives 66 to 85. A quick content warning before we begin uh, that this segment deals heavily with sexuality and with sexual assault and rape. If you're not comfortable hearing discussions or depictions of these topics, please proceed with caution. Karen recalls a video game she played as a child, called The Children of the Forest, when she lived in a group home. The game is absolutely brutal after the first few levels, but Karen keeps pursuing the ending relentlessly. The ancient queen in her evil castle, the game's final boss. Karen is so good at the game that they allow her to play all the time. She even starts sleeping in the game shop. As an adult, she hacks the CIA and finds the game's old files. But at the end of the game, there is no Evil Queen. The game just resets and starts again. Interfaces receive input and produce output, and that's all we need to know. The clock gets wound, and its hands show the time. Input and output. As far as the user needs to know, what happens inside the box is magic. We think of interfaces as existing in order to give us access to things. But they are also there to hide things from us the idea that some things are better off hidden the crone tells the son of Ariad that to avoid the fate of the painted backs they must make a sacrifice at the start of every dry season bringing one of their young women to the horrible strangers the son of Ariad tries to protest but the great men argue that it is not cowardly to submit to a greater power for the sake of saving their people a young girl rona is chosen to be sacrificed and the son of Ariad volunteers to go with her and the crone to make sure she is telling the truth, and the crone agrees. They go into the rocky lands, bringing his two hunting cats in his satchel. The crone tells Rona that she will be treated well by the strange men and will be one of their respected women because she comes willingly, and incensed, the son of Ariad attacks the crone, binds and gags her to keep her from poisoning either of their minds any further. In the middle of the night, the son of Ariad wakes, alerted by the cats to something in the darkness. The cats turn their heads up, and a strange, bestial man, tall, thin, pale and winged like a great bat, falls from the sky and lands just in front of Rona. It rapes Rona until the son of Ariad finally leaps in to kill it. Neither Rona nor the creature survive until the morning. He walks back to the river alone, but can find no sign of the people. He sees the shapes of men in the distance and calls out to them excitedly, until he realizes these are the painted backs freshly coated in the blood of their enemies, watching him with strange, filmy eyes. Karen Castillo wants to tell her story. She wants you to understand why she hired someone to poison her. As a child, when she was plugged into the feed, she was encouraged to mix with other children who had scored well in Children of the Forest, but Karen had scored best by far. Traditionally, the feed realm has been structured around the metaphor of three-dimensional space, because that is what the human brain is made to process— However, recently a genetic mutation from the Stone Age has been discovered, which allows certain people to process significantly more dimensions of reality. Adult humans struggle to adjust to 4D and higher info feeds, so the CIA began conditioning children like Karen and her peers from an early age to process hyperspace. Most of the children couldn't handle it and quit, but like with Children of the Forest, to use another spatial metaphor, Karen kept pressing forward. Nick, the author goes to a meeting for heroin addicts with a friend. One of the regular members has just died, and the tone of the meeting is especially somber. He goes back to the sober house and tries to talk about it with Sean, who is dismissive. People only care about addicts when they're little white kids, and ignore the black community suffering from the same ills. Nick muses on the history of both Jews and African Americans, wondering how much of anyone's story survives. In high school, Nick was really into acid, and a band called the Merry Pranksters, once they put out a sign that said the merry pranksters welcome the beetles, despite not knowing a single beetle and being virtual nobodies, and genuinely believed they would come. This is because LSD increases your brain's sensitivity to patterns, making you believe that coincidental, random actions are part of a larger, intentional network. That you are perceiving signs in a system unrelated to cause and effect, but obviously linked together. Nick had convinced himself that he was a kind of messiah, that he would receive a revelation of the imminent end of the world. However, his last trip gave him a revelation so terrible he swore off LSD forever. A few years later, the Beatles had followed in the footsteps of the pranksters, changing their style to fit the psychedelic movement that the pranksters helped popularize. Coincidence or cosmic pattern? Horseshit, says Nick. This is the belief he holds upon entering AA, an opinion which he makes clear to the people there. But with no option he keeps returning if he's ever given a good reason to believe in god he says he'll take it a girl named jen jen enters a feed narrative impressed by the quality an urgent alert cuts through her feed that atlanta has been completely destroyed but she ends and dismisses it assuming it's just a sports alert she in the body of brooke shields goes and meets her date at the front door the guy cory is some car driving hotshot. And Jen-Jen is disappointed that she didn't look closer at the summary. She doesn't really like cars. Instead, she redirects the narrative into a dance competition story, excited to try out her body. As they're getting ready to go, she sees a pair of eyes staring out from a bush, and finds a naked old woman sitting and staring out at her. The woman tries to grab for her, and Jen-Jen attacks her, and realizes that her leg isn't attached properly to her body. She and Corey take off and she finds herself bored and confused, wondering why she gets tired of everything after ten minutes. They get to the club and start dancing, but Cory is already beginning to glitch. Across the room, she notices a tall man in a dark coat, standing perfectly still and staring at her. The guy tears a hunk off of Corey's model and smears Zhen Zhen with his blood before licking it off, but she's okay with it, because it feels nice. The two start to have sex, and the other dancers in the club surround them and break into pieces, and the man and the light in the club distort as they twist into hyperspace. She tries to use her safe word to end the simulation, but there is no escape as she is trapped in an endless loop of fractalizing bodies and eyes. God. Ben and Karen reach the hospital where they see that twelve cities worldwide have been attacked by Q, destroyed in nuclear blasts. Ben gives Karen a muscle treatment so she can at least sit up on her own. Ben is still terrified that Karen might be Q, might be ordering these nuke strikes, but she has no way to convince him otherwise. He's simply too far behind her in feed processing. They just need to get to upstate New York, no matter what. He agrees and does her treatment. While waiting, he investigates an alert from the other room, coming from the hygiene bed of Zhen Zhen. But when he opens it up to see what's wrong, he can only scream for help. He retrieves Karen, and she begins to explain Q, telling the story of the hyperspace genome being inserted into Stone Age Man up through now, the plague of flesh which has taken poor Zhen Zhen. Karen doesn't seem to understand how things work in the real world. To her, narratives and metaphors are the real world now. Nick is 24 and out drinking, and he's charming and socializing, and the door is open for him. And then He's 30 jerking off alone in his shitty apartment before he caves and has a 3 p.m. drink. And then he's 33, at a meeting, watching a man with a perfectly crisp and respectable haircut and an uneven gait from alcohol abuse sit down. Something about this haircut sticks in his mind, and he can't help staring, the rest of the meeting falling away, and the door to possibility ever so briefly opens again. Ben and Karen take the back roads up to New York. The interstates are all shut down. "'They arrive in Plattsburgh, and Karen finishes another eye treatment. "'She can see. She can speak. and "'She has Ben help her wheel past the crumbling foundation of her old home, "'the group home where she first learned to play the Children of the Forest. "'They take the trail into the woods. "'In a clearing, she takes off her sunglasses and begins to weep. "'The feed designers had always said that the feeds were perfect, "'indistinguishable from reality.' but when she watches the random dancing of the gnats and the sunlight in the trees, she knows for sure now that they were wrong. Confused and angry, Ben demands to know what the plan is, what she intends to do. But Q controls everything, and they have no recourse against her. However, there are points in the past when Q could have been stopped if the course of history was changed. And so, to deliver this message, Karen has engineered this whole scenario, this story, this narrative, to reach someone who can try to make things right, write it down, and ensure Q's defeat in another timeline. It's too late for them, but it doesn't need to be too late for us." Before Mother Horse Eyes, during the worst of his addiction, Nick tried to write a novel for six years. He imagined that this low point in his life was part of the necessary personal narrative of a success story future artist. But he wasn't really writing, and he wasn't really reading, and he didn't really enjoy either thing or anything. He got fired, went to rehab, stopped drinking, and finished the novel. It was rejected by every agent he sent it to. Four months later, he started writing this story. And finally, he's getting contacted by publications interested in his work. But in order to get there, how is he supposed to end the story? Once, he's hanging out with Sean, and Sean begins to tell him about how he once saw a room covered in human bone. He found an underground entrance and went deeper and deeper into it until he found a room with bones melted into the walls. Convinced that this is a roundabout way of confronting Nick for a posting about him, Nick says nothing and lets him continue. He's been feeling lately like everything is falling into place in his life, that he's getting his shit together, and the novelist career is panning out, until now, when the horrible truth of the mother has come back to haunt him. The CIA learns how to control the spread of incident zones, and decides to build an interface below a major population center. They can limit the incident zones after the realization that portals, interfaces, are willing to incorporate signal cables, allowing them to send and receive information between the flesh interface and the machine. The interfaces want as much data, as many signals as possible. Then, one day, a researcher realizes that the mysterious ant farms, the tunnels below an interface, reflect a loose map of the research facility, following the highest levels of human activity. "'In order to figure out what determines the size and shape of an interface and its ant-farm, "'they build a contained interface under a city. "'When Sean was on crack, he started breaking into abandoned buildings for stuff to rip off and sell. "'And there was one building that nobody else would touch. "'The place was evil. "'But he was cocky and high and didn't care. "'There was a big, solid steel door at the back, which he pried open with a spreader. "'And then another door behind it. "'And then another. "'Nothing valuable inside.' He sold the big doors for scrap instead. He kept going deeper, breaking open doors. One room, very deep underground, was full of cages, with the still-clothed skeletons of children inside. He took the cages and dumped out the bones. Then, one day, in the absolute depths, he found a cave with blackened walls, covered in hundreds of melded-together bones. A power came from here, demanding him to submit and worship. And from the unholy darkness, a sweet smell of apples. So what are we thinking? Okay,
1: you know how people are like, you gotta hire a furry on staff, or you you won't make appealing (laughs) anthropomorphic character designs? Okay, I'd like to see where you're going with this. Okay, like that, that sentiment, but for the angel sex scenes, is how I felt about this reading. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
0: can you explain um like okay do you do you feel like the author has not made the angel sex hot enough i it it's it's (laughs) um you're you're kind of at a loss for how to explain your thoughts in a way that doesn't make you sound like a fucking ghoul, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: it's like... Huh. I didn't think that thought beyond that. <laughs> it's like, when people write all sex culture stuff, but they write it mm-hmm. in a way that's really, like generic sex stuff and it's like well
0: (laughs) whatever the the attempt to be shocking is that what you're like reading and it's not like landing i guess i don't know
1: this feels (laughs) impossible to explain without saying different words um (laughs) You know, like when you're reading like a a thing is like a fetish piece, but the person clearly just isn't like into that thing, and they're just writing like missionary position kind of stuff instead over top this thing,
0: Uh, like the um the human pet book, I guess, where you know the premise is this like very obviously like a not particularly uncommon weird internet fetish premise. But it's being written by someone who is, like, not actually into that and just wants to write about, like, pretty much, like, uncomplicated teenage heterosexuals. Yeah, it's like that.
1: And also, it's funny because
0: last episode or whatever, we were
1: praising him for not using tentacles, like...
0: I was, I literally, I I took note, like, okay, it's interesting that, like, the first and only depiction of tentacles is specifically in what, what, what amounts to, like, a... Classic hentai-style tentacle yeah. rape, right? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't just, like, go into her. Like, it goes into everything. Like, her mouth and everything. Like, if you've been online for any amount of time, you know what this is referencing. You've seen pictures of anime teenagers with stuff up in every hole, whether you wanted to or not.
1: Yeah, it's that, like, thin tentacle subgenre of tentacle stuff. <laughs>
0: 'Cause it also stands out to me that like the author has already just, like demonstrated like an awareness or even an interest in like Chican, like Lolly Fuda and mm-hmm. other like Yeah, felt intentional for with this. Really misogynistic online sexuality. Yeah. And I felt it's interesting that section that like the language there is like chase for what's happening. Like, <laughs> it's suddenly no longer that kind of blunt, fakey. like... Like you mentioned, it doesn't read like someone putting their fetish into the story, but like, is this a speed bump? Is this a, a choice to characterize Nick as the narrator? Yeah, there's some stuff later, too. The,
1: the, the tone of the, voice... Like,
0: like with the gen gen? Yeah,
1: like, the t- like everyone's voices start sounding very similar. In a story that's been, like, pretty good about having the tone be different in places.
0: Hmm. I mean, because, like, people don't realize that, like, sex scenes are difficult to write. That They're too. Difficult. They
1: might just be not good at writing sex scenes. <laughs> I think, like, they don't <laughs> have to be, like, appealing. It's just, like, when you're writing, like, paranormal sex stuff, there's lots more room to be, like... <laughs> more abstract and the story that's asking us to think about like fourth and fifth and sixth dimension
0: it was pretty like it was it was just sort of like boilerplate sex that kind of turns into this multi-dimensional nightmare situation yeah like i feel like that's probably the point because almost any time that sexuality gets brought up in the story it is violent and unpleasant. Yeah, that's true. And it's like, it's always linked to, like, disgust and fear, like, when he's scared that he'd fuck the old lady, or like, like when Ben is talking about how people will just, like, fucking bust it open in front of you and start jerking off and how gross and awful that is. (laughs) I thought the solo jerk-off
1: scene later in there had a lot more authenticity than the cybernetic
0: angel fuck. It's hard to have like a solid interpretation at least for me of like where this is coming from and what it signifies Mm -hmm. like whether this is meant to be like horror and and disgust of sex itself or specifically like acknowledging the horror of rape and unwanted like sexual attentions or is it just like the the narrator or the author's like already established like disgust of women.
1: Yeah, it's ho- like there's a lot of like support I think for that in there, but like it also could be like masking over top other things you've mentioned. It's
0: also like in the watcher sequence, the way that the son of Ariad constantly refers to young women as being like ripe. Yeah, and also the way that like. Women in general in the story have, other than Karen, have absolutely no agency or like beliefs really of their own, and like Karen's stuff is so centered around him
1: as being like the protagonist, like in the in the Watcher narrative, like he reacts to the cr- the the crone, which is like neo witchcraft spirituality. There's like crone. And two other things, like Maiden Mother Crone. Yeah, I, that's intentional, I'm pretty sure, within this story. <laughs> that he gets like angry over like the crone telling Roma these things. His reaction feels more like within like the narration, the story of him reacting to her being like a valuable, like woman with sexual agency and not like a girl. More than it's, like, him reacting to,
0: like, some sort of outrage he's experiencing. Yeah, like, it it sort of comes across as though he is just possessive of her and of the women in their group, and that's why he's objecting to it. Not because it's, like, a thing that like, like with our modern sensibilities, um, we would naturally object to something like that because, like, we don't, uh, we think we generally think that sexual slavery is bad. bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, institutionally. <laughs> yeah, everyone well, would
1: hope. But like, if we're giving like the parameters of this fantasy caveman y culture, you know, we're being told she has like a high status within their group, and like he's offended by like her telling
0: her these things. Yeah, like that. She is. She is one of the valuable young women because she is ripe. Which I fucking hate every time he uses that word. Yeah, gross. Every time I'm reading it. Also, that he feels entitled
1: to it because, as a child, he had done this act, and like his childhood, he's still like arrested in that moment of being like this important.
0: Oh, of of killing the rock. Yeah, lion? and like,
1: but the mother river like provides for them for everything. So it's like he has everything he needs from like this feminine aspect of their life
0: and he like reacts this way to it. And and we get the sense that like in their society it's it's structured around like a need to prove your masculinity. They they refer to their their oral tradition as the names of the fathers and the yeah. deeds. And like we generally get the understanding that like the deeds are the deeds of the men of the people and like that women are just sort of like ancillary which is mm-hmm. another one of those things like this is just like prehistoric uh, yeah, uh, fantasy <laughs> of like when men were men kind of horseshit yeah like, and and, and it has like nothing to do with the way a lot of historical societies were structured which we have evidence to suggest were much more egalitarian than a lot of stories about them portray. Because that's a holdover and a myth from our society of the pre lapsarian perfect society where, you know, the women were happy being barefoot and pregnant and the men are strapping young warriors. And this idealized society is perverted by, like, female empowerment and angel cuckoldry, which directly leads to their downfall. They're slaughtered by the guys who let themselves get angel cucked. Also because one of the one of the Watcher segments is on a, a Reddit post. It's on like an r slash jokes. Yeah. I think it's really bad. The joke is, how many dead hookers does it take to change a light bulb? Apparently not three. It's still dark in my basement.
1: Like, yeah. really edgy. That's not what the collective one has as the hyperlink for this thing. <laughs> what does that one have? Oh, I'm going to say it with my mouth. It says reply to. Uh, you can use them as
0: flashlights. <laughs> yeah. So so, so that. either way, like that. That might be the specific comment that is being yeah replied to replied to in the thread uh, on the dead hookers joke. Yeah. I have above that because I took that because
1: because I, I wanted us to talk about it and we are. <laughs> Two things. One's actually morally cracked injustice, even for sexist societies to be destroyed, so, like, even if they were, like, scattered by, like, me <laughs> angels, there wouldn't be a loss, I think, historically. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh but fair. <laughs> um, but, like, here I've noted that fathers have been creeping more and more into the story, and it's made me think about how, like, fathers were present from, like, the start, with- unnamed if we think of like the CIA agents as like fathers to these like children turned test subjects because like in the abstract way we think of like think about family units like these were adult men in a group Mm -hmm. with children so they would be fathers if you were thinking things only from like a was a mother was a father was a like a human
0: guy role, human-woman role in, like, a cisnormative society, <laughs> you know? But then there's also, like, from the CIA researchers' perspective, that, like, latent pedophilic sexuality yeah. towards the young female subjects. Like, these, these prepubescent girl subjects. Like, the
1: only time the kind of, like, parental feelings were extended were, like,
0: sexual in nature. Yeah. I think... If that was something that the story was interested in exploring more, or was willing to explore more, that would be something interesting. Mm-hmm. I just got done watching Evangelion. Yeah, like I like I just watched End of Eva last night, mm-hmm. and that's a big presence in that series. Yeah, and you know, th- that's also something that I think comes through in House of Leaves, mm-hmm. and these are both things that I see like really big ties to Mother Horse Eyes in. Like, in House of Leaves, I think there's evidence to suggest that Johnny Truant experienced some form of sexual abuse, and and he fixates on it. It's why the Minotaur presents in such a phallic way, and why he does that thing where he goes into detail about the the sexual trauma, mostly incestuous, that the girls he pretended to have slept with uh, experienced. And his whole story is kind of dancing around this backdrop of the night when the abuse got too bad and he ran away. There's a dark sexual overtone to that. And in Evangelion, the whole thing is riddled with trauma response sexuality. Like Gendo and Rei, his groomed-from-birth angel child. Gendo and Ritsuko, where she's in a reverse Oedipal battle with her mother, Um, Misato and Kaji where she thinks of him being her father Misato and Shinji with her being his guardian like in both of these works I think hinge on this parental sexual abuse and and Mother Horses kind of touches it fleetingly and then backs off and there's stuff
1: later on that I think is like father related too, and like sexuality related particularly the narrator's sexuality but like it you're right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really cut deep enough so it just feels
0: sort of like there to be uncomfortable. It just kinda like lands. Like fucking wet meat on the ground lands. Almost <laughs> flop, yeah.
1: Speaking of, speaking of wet meat. <laughs> in the one that follows that one, the language there is really phallic and yonic, and I thought it was interesting that like the next the next bit of watcher, number sixty nine. Nice, right? Nice. Which is also the angel sex thing, so... Uh Uh-huh. The finesse of that. (laughs) The, like, the land and the trees and the bushes and stuff are really, like, phallic-y, which is, like, usually we think of, like, water stuff as, like, being yonic, right? And, like, trees and bushes (laughs) and stuff. But, like, that kind of, like...
0: Yeah, like, they go up onto a hill, which is this bare, smooth stone. They look at the cracks and folds in the land. Yeah, and the, the the rocky land is called, like,
1: steep bare folds of the rocky land, which is, like, yonic in comparison to, like, how the trees and the bushes and the rivers are described in that thing, and that was a really interesting, like, opposite to how we think of, like, shapes and stuff. And the hunting spear. And... Yeah. Yeah, the, the spear is really penis-adjacent in this
0: segment. <laughs> like in general you know most weaponry yes, is, is considered phallic. like phallic related to the watcher narrative and the later implications so the so the idea of like like the ending with the painted backs and everything like the like mm-hmm. the revelation that the angels have sort of like integrated their dna into the painted backs and they have wiped out the people and and are are going to be one of the one of the future like dominant groups that's that spreads this gene that allows you to process hyperspace and hypertime and like excess dimensions. Uh-huh.
1: It's a part of the weird like race realism fantasy where people with pale skin are caused by like alien angels or whatever else. Yeah. And not just like a thing that can happen to people,
0: like height or whatever, (laughs) it plays around with, like, ancient aliens stuff because Mother Horse Eyes is a story that is, like, interested in exploring all the various types of kookery and quackery in the conspiracy world. But, like, what I think is the implication of this gene existing is that, like, in the future when humans have access to that hyper high dose LSD the people who don't become violent who are able to like retain their sense after experiencing the mother have like the genetic flag and that's the thing that makes them special like that doctor who episode <laughs> it fundamentally like even though it is also just like a plot point because nick was like okay how do i justify this thing that i've already set up because like there's there's a lot of sort of backwards logic that's yeah, going this is through really this because cool like and, part. and nick says like i'm trying to figure out how to end the story yeah i thought that was really cool to have in the story but also we tied back into the story <laughs> yeah like that's that's interesting but like it ends up still justifying that sort of, like, good addict or, or like, good mm, mentally yeah. ill person mindset by, by saying essentially that it is a genetic predisposition and, and it's not, like, it's not uh exactly helping him beat the eugenicist allegations, no. I think. <laughs> Guy who's not being the- <laughs> uh. It's It's part of this, I think, continued... Effort to like subvert the anti Semitism by essentially saying like there there is a distinction between the Nephilim and the Jews. But there's also like the like the offspring of the angels, they refer to themselves as like this this like New Jerusalem yeah. type faction. And we know that those Nephilim must be, based on the logic of the story so far, if you are not like killed or or integrated, it's probably because you have that predisposition, right? Yeah, like, you're the chosen people within his story. Yeah. Jumping
1: way far down, he admits to, like, inventing Sean's, like, stuff to, like, mask other stuff, and in that he's taking this guy's, like, lived experience, feeding through, like, the interface of his story and, like, shaping it to the narrative we have. What we're fed is that, oh, a lot of this is coming from his experience with his roommate, but, like, it's all him. It's all coming from narrator guy, because, like, this isn't the beliefs
0: the his roommate has at all. And we, like, never learn what it is. Like, he does say that he, he kept the, the anti-Semitism of the guy's beliefs, but, like, changed some of the specifics, so it's a different, like... Yeah, I guess a different type. I don't know. I feel like that changes things significantly to me,
1: though. Like, it's still anti-Semitism, but, like, that's like a, like, is he
0: Baptist? Because that's a different kind of thing than being, like... <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's something that I don't know a whole lot about, the variants of these sort of, like, modern, like, Christian Pan-African, mm-hmm. like, faiths, like, these sort of, like, more niche faiths. Mm-hmm. Probably, like, if if Sean is not specifically a Black Hebrew or like, he is probably some strain of Pan-African Christian.
1: Yeah, which is just, like, the context of him being, like, this voice piece
0: for this. Sean is, like, as far as we know, as far as we can tell, and, like, even if Sean is based on a a person that Nick, the real-life author, knows in real Mm -hmm. life, he is still being transformed into a character yeah. that Nick is putting his own voice into, you know? No matter what. Yeah. He says, like, I've written down the things he said faithfully. But, like... But, like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we know based on the premise of the thing that he hasn't. Mm-hmm. Because there is no Sean. Yeah. Sean is, is an invention of... Of the story, in order to justify moving the story into the end game in this yeah. way. I think it's cool when stories
1: get to like this point of like interlocking. <laughs> I always <laughs> like stuff like the best of anything when it's kind of like the high middle of the rising act
0: before the climax or whatever. <laughs> like the point where things start to fold back in on one another. Yeah.
1: I think it's really cool. I like.
0: I think I I like it more than, like, finding out. Up to this point, things have been more disjointed. Yeah. We saw the Iwo Jima narrative, and we saw the Nazi narrative, and we saw all of that stuff. And those things were very obviously connected by similar concepts, Mm -hmm. but they were not linked in any meaningful
1: way, really. And then we get that he has another, like, housemate that's a marine, and he's like, I'm going to show him this part. So we have, like, where this, like, is
0: anchored into this, like, present narrative narration. Yeah, the idea of, like, where he's being inspired in real life to write this stuff. Also, hey, while we're here talking about these guys, I didn't know
1: AA, or AAA, or whatever the fuck they call it, AA, I didn't know AA was, like, a Christian missionary thing. You didn't? Oh my god, yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was just, like, a neutral, Yeah.
0: the thing people would to go do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spe- like, Alcoholics Anonymous is specifically, and like, 12-step programs tend to be heavily associated with their, 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 like mission groups usually. Hey, that's
1: like, really fucked up. I had no idea. Yeah. Like, people were like, oh, go, d-. it's like, people just go do it as a part of like, rehab and stuff. I, like, I clicked the whole, like, 12 steps, and like, my God.
0: <laughs> I had no idea. One of the things about this story and, like, this part of it specifically is that, like, if anything is real, then the rant about the, the predatory behaviors of AA, that shit is yeah, real. Yeah, like, that's evil.
1: <laughs> like, how's that? Like, obviously it's allowed because we're in a, a Christian-dominant culture and stuff. Yeah. But, like, hey, what the fuck? That should be, like, disband.
0: <laughs> we should ban Christianity. Oh, step one. <laughs> that is another thing that, like, the sort of, like, if anything is real about this, then it's this, is, like, if there's anything that is, like, really genuine about Mother Horse Eyes, mm-hmm. is that it's, like, it is a perfect, like, absolutely spot-on depiction of, like, white American apostatist atheism. Yeah. Like, I've known so many, like, not every single Western atheist or Western secularist is like this or has this experience, but, like, Mm -hmm. there's a thing among, like, especially white men who are apostas, like, ex-Christian atheists Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. have this really similar experience. The rhetoric that that he talks about AA having, about atheism being Mm closed-minded, isn't strictly wrong. Like, it's not correct, but it's not wrong. Like because militant atheism, which is like the thing that Nick is describing having, it yeah has to be rigid in the same way that like most Christian belief has to be rigid. Yeah. They can only function by being correct and the Authority. only people who are correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. They can only function by being the sole arbiter of like what is true and what is not. And any deviation is dangerous to the movement.
1: Mm-hmm. it's very like us versus logic
0: yeah exactly which isn't separate from Christianity so it's like whatever <laughs> was the point yeah like one what's what's the phrase when people say like when something exists as a reaction to something else thereby like reifying the power of the thing that it, it oh, exists fun. in the reaction to basically I can't remember the exact wording of it um or even anything close but you guys know what I'm talking about that's the definition you guys can look it up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. A little homework, vocab, vocab. <laughs> and like that's that's the reason why like, it's really easy for like apostate like ex-Christian atheists to fall back into Christianity or into mm. like really or even harder, rigid or militant like, movements like yeah, yeah, like to 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 be like born again after like having atheists this, to um, deeper cult pipeline. Yeah. Because if you value debate and open-mindedness and rhetoric, but also like supremacy and have this view of there only being one objective truth or one objective reality and you view religion as inherently narcissistic or ignorant as and and that's like the core reason why you aren't religious it opens you up to being debated back into justifying religious beliefs when you meet someone who argues well and isn't a narcissist or an idiot people forget that part of materialism is like Reality is processed in the mind, and the results of those processes affect people's behaviors in reality. So, people's individual, like, emotional and, and, like, apparently non-physical experiences do matter. And, like, in Nick's discussion of discipline, when you ignore your thoughts and the emotional needs, it ends up being harmful. Unrelated, well, well, while we're in this kind of section, I really like the hospitals called Clearview,
1: or like... Getting to like, where, like the plot is like being explained and explored more like linearly, like with
0: more like understanding. Right before Ben gets an exposition dump. Yeah, I really like that. I really dislike the, the exposition
1: dump. No, the dump was bad, but I really <laughs> thought it was called Clearview. Very like horror gamey. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cute. Oh, also, I think there's still room for the anime while we're here. And, like, <laughs> the no- the guy writing his novel can be a novel physically, and then, like, you can collect the watcher's story from, like, vending stickers or something. Oh, I guess it'll have to be a short story. And then the, the anime could be, like, an hour movie. <laughs>
0: Vis-a-vis Karen and Ben, like, the mm-hmm. exposition dump is bad. The finale is perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. Oh my god, the finale is really good. I really like that. It's, it's like, sort of the, the pinnacle of, like, Karen as the childlike empress. Espousing, like, the power of a narrative and, like, giving the power of telling the story. And also, like, Nick talks about having a, a messiah delusion as a young man, that he's successfully shaken off. And now he knows he's just a a pathetic human and whatever. But he has literally positioned himself in the story through Karen as still being a kind of prophet messiah. Like, he's the one who receives the secret revelation. He's the one who copies her words down. And those words are the thing that are supposed to save our timeline from the mother. Even if he doesn't believe in the story, he still fantasizes about it. I-, I think there's just really good character writing. On one hand, there's, like, a lot of, like,
1: these sort of, like, protagonist syndrome, like, libertarian arguments throughout <laughs> a lot of, like, these passages here. Mm-hmm. Getting more to, like, the core of that, like, humanity, individuals against, like, a system against, like, collectivism and stuff like that.
0: But also, like, this part made me cry. <laughs> I think... And, I, and I'll, I'll talk more about this later. I think a lot of the story, especially, like, when Nick tries to talk about Judaism, like, in 72, I think there's a fundamental, like, misunderstanding of of Judaism that comes yeah. from that section. But, like, in comparison to that, Karen and, like, what Karen does here and, like, the the sort of, like, mindset that Karen presents is, like the most Jewish thing in the whole story. Like, the fact that, like, you may be doomed and, like, there's nothing that you can do Mm -hmm. about your present situation except, like, try to pass on this narrative that Mm -hmm. is telling the story of of yourself and your people and, like, passing that on for its own sake. It undermines the cynicism of a lot of it. (laughs) Like, okay, first off... In seventy two, I
1: wrote, "Hey, I think you should go kill yourself for this part." <laughs> I think that might be the harshest thing I've said in, in <laughs> most of them. I'm uh, pretty that... sure
0: you've you've told Nick to kill himself before.
1: Oh, okay. Well, n- number number three, <laughs> <laughs> and like instead of being a little lost individual, you you. Th- think you're, like, the grand inherited or spiritual legacy, and like, hey, I don't know what convinced (laughs) you to think that part was okay, followed up by the fact that, like, there's still African folklore and mythology (laughs) in the world, what the fuck are you talking about?
0: Yeah. Like, that made me think of conversations that I have had with Christians about Judaism, where, Mm -hmm. like, they just fundamentally don't understand the difference between Jewish philosophy and Christian philosophy. Because Christianity is a religion that requires proselytizing, and it is an afterlife-focused religion. It's a death cult, functionally. And their parents, their
1: parents' parents, and so on, just stop sharing, like, culturally relevant stories. Their failures
0: isn't the sum of, like, other people's culture. One of the things that that I tell people who have this sort of, like, misapprehension, or, like... Not every Jew this applies to, obviously, you know, like, 10 Jews, 12 opinions kind of thing. <laughs> which is healthy, it's good for you. <laughs> historically, when you look at it, which is, like, one of my preferred ways to understand, like, Jewish heritage, mm-hmm, Jews were historically a tribal people, like, a small group of people with an unusual set of cultural practices, surrounded by hostile forces, essentially. They were primarily polytheistic. Yeah. And the metaphor of chosenness is a safeguard against conversion and against losing your way of life to the pressures of these outsiders and their assimilation tactics. Like when you're surrounded Mm -hmm. by these kingdoms and empires all around you that are, you know, some of them are more powerful than you or more influential than you. They're richer than you. Like, you have been chosen by your heritage to continue to propagate it because, like, the threat of elimination is so real. So it's important Mm -hmm. to teach the people in your group to value that heritage. And he brings up, like, the the sort of, well, the real story's been lost because in in the Bible, they talk about the burning bush and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, yeah, they're not literal. They're metaphors to talk about, like spiritual concepts and philosophy and metaphysics and stuff not the same way but in a similar way that mother horse eyes does like sometimes the best way to explain a concept is to talk your way around it like to use narrative devices and turns of phrase and, and and poetry yeah like a lot of christians are like very literal with their thing
1: like a girl i don't know what she was some sort of like stuff that no longer counts as, like, a main branch of Christianity. It's, like, cult territory, but no one cares because you're in the middle of nowhere. Sort of <laughs> Pentecostal extent. Pentecostal plus. If you if you live in America or whatever, you know how you see, like, buses and you know they're going to some sort of, like, Christian thing? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she came up to me once and was like, oh, hey, I learned recently. Catholics don't literally think X, in the Bible, and I was just like, yeah? What? <laughs> Duh? I can't remember what it was exactly, but she also didn't believe in, like, evolution and stuff, so... Yeah. It wasn't anything I commit to memory, because what she said a lot of times was
0: dumb. <laughs> yeah. Like, biblical literalism is, like, a reaction to the declining power of religious institutions with, like, the, the Enlightenment... And, and the scientific revolution, which is why it's associated so much with, like, that fire and brimstone Christianity. And, like,
1: I'm not, like, self-identifying as Catholic right now, but, like, you know, like, the difference between, like, understanding, like, people are, like, raised with, like, the Bible's, like, super literal, so they assume that everyone else is, like, into it super literally, But it also comes from, like, a particular kind of, like, whiteness, I think. And that's, like, I'm sure everyone experiences, like, this in some degree. But a lot of people
0: have a kind of an understanding that folktale and stuff is, like, representative. Yeah, that it's, like, a narrative in order to teach, you know, moral lessons, or to use specific metaphors, or to construct metaphors. Yeah. In order to explain... Why things are the way they are. A lot of Jewish scripture deals with the theodicy question, like wrestling with God, and seems to propose a kind of ambiguous answer that the thing that is called God simply is what it is. And the conversation that I have had, and like a couple of these conversations were with people who were like missionaries who were, like, basically trying to figure out how to preach to me um, in in order to convert me. That's gross. I'm sorry. And, and, and I'll say, like, we don't proselytize. Like, Jews don't do that. And they'll be really confused and say, like, if our God your God is the best God, and if only the chosen (laughs) can get into heaven, why wouldn't you want more people to be chosen? Why wouldn't you want more people to to come into the fold? And I have to explain, like, like, we don't have heaven, historically. Like, heaven is not an integral or even, like, I've been to synagogues where they do talk about, like, there is a belief in heaven, and those tend to be like, reform synagogues that are much more assimilated into, like, the surrounding, like, Christian uh, groups. I I, I tend to find that, like, Orthodox Jews don't believe in heaven. And, like, the Jewish God is not always the best God. Like, (laughs) the God you have. The God of Job and Isaac and Lot and Moses is a very, very ambivalent figure in the same way of, like, attempting to contend with A father figure tends to be someone who, who belongs to you and is in your life and makes rules for you, but doesn't have like a plan, has expectations maybe, and will like punish deviants from those expectations or may not. You never know. There are like people who are Jewish and atheists
1: who believe in like, that God is like representing like cultural
0: rules or like nature like random acts of like or or even that like who who just believe in judaism as a secular philosophy yeah like that that, you know even even if god does not exist you should still try to do mitzvah you know yeah even in like the less literal forms of christianity until you get into like fucking deism or anything Mm -hmm. God is still a literal God. Like, God is still a presence in most forms of Christianity, where, like, yeah. that's not strictly the case in, in Judaism, and especially not in all, you know, strains of Judaism. Mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, Christians proselytize and Jews don't. Because, mm-hmm. like, the, the sort of logic comes from opposite directions. Like, because the philosophy and the way of life is the more important thing because the heritage yeah. the and the moving forward of your, of your people into the future and, and, and protecting yourselves and protecting your community from legitimate threats mm-hmm. is the most important thing. So therefore, like, why would you want our God unless you believe our beliefs? Versus yes. Christianity follows from the other way around. You're mm-hmm. encouraged to believe certain beliefs so that you can have this God. God is viewed as like a literal thing that is good to have.
1: Yeah, there's a Christian insecurity about it. Because, like, you can't question it or the whole thing falls apart, right? Yeah. Like, you can't study and research, you can't debate, you can't have, like, discourse or, like, evolution of philosophy. It's all, like, static. Otherwise you're a heretic. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, so much of it's weighted on these things being, like... Literal and like mm-hmm. existing and like exactly the way they've been like presented to you, otherwise, what's the point if no if there's no like heaven, why are you
0: spending your life being so like laborious or whatever? yeah, like why are you doing good things unless there is a spiritual reward? There is a sort of imminence. ...to Christianity that that Judaism also doesn't have. Like, I I don't want to say that Christianity is hopeful where Judaism isn't, because they both are. It's just that, like, the hope of, of, of Judaism is that someday life on Earth will get better, and the hope of Christianity generally is that, like, the spiritual world will be good, and you will be able to experience that goodness... It's very individualist. The the cynicism of Jewish philosophy is like someday things will get better for your descendants. Catholicism
1: is like a little different because there's like there's like an inherent like collectibility. That comes from like the inheriting of like polytheistic culture. And like you mentioned like the assimilation tactics of like the polytheism around them and that's kind of like been cemented into, like, the baseline of, like, all Christian
0: from out. Because it's the same tactic. Yeah, right? yeah, because it, it adapted, like, Roman practices into it, like, really early on. Yeah. A lot of Christian sects imagine life as a, a sort of, like, pitched... Constant battle between good and evil, which is Mm -hmm. very easy for people to literalize as like, okay, that means that angels and demons are literally real and they are doing physical battle over my soul personally. Spiritual battle, yeah. (laughs) Versus like in Judaism, like, especially like Judaism as it exists after the historical point of death of the person that was Or the people who were Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) There is the sense of, like, sort of overall tragedy. The struggle, if it is not already lost. Like, there is not a thing that you can win. We live in the aftermath of all the great failures of history. Like, humans are inevitably fallible and life is hard so you should seek to make it easier for others when you can and maybe that means like you will you will be able to do enough good that the world will be redeemed
1: also related to romans and greeks and stuff so we're talking about like the doom section there of being <clears throat> doomed and there's that lo- that philosophy of that, like, there's that line in the Iliad that's really popular anymore, I've been seeing it going around, that makes me really insane. It's like, any moment might be our last, everything is more beautiful because we're doomed. This isn't in the Mother Horse Eyes, this is just, like, a line <laughs> in the Iliad, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But, like, that really gets me. The line that makes me cry is what shape would it make, even if I could see it. Would this, have any, would this shape have any meaning? About them being, like, already doomed in this timeline.
0: Yeah, and about, like, all time existing at once, and if you can look at your entire life. It's very Slaughterhouse-Five, that moment. Yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, you made me cry. I'm, I'm not saying that as, like, a bad thing. I love Slaughterhouse-Five. No, no. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm, like, pricklier. You're feeling defensive because this stupid story made you cry. Camping.
1: Yeah <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what this emotion is. <laughs> there was a lot of music and poetry in this section. It's nice. Sometimes like when something has like a song in it, even though it's like a low hanging fruit in like horror to have just knit music components, sometimes like a really a precision point strike is like a, a
0: perfect ten ten landing. Oh, the, um, the, the, the heroin death one, when he, when he puts it on a, um, uh, it's a Mountain Goats yeah, the song, mountain goats uh, store. I, I, I'd never heard that before. Yeah, that was my first time listening
1: to that, that one was cool. There um, yeah. also, there's also the, Garth Brooks, I
0: think, the mom song, that goes into the what? mother horse. What? I didn't, th- this might oh. just be on the collected version, because I'm not, oh my I don't God. know what this is at all.
1: Oh my god, I'm gonna stop talking so I can link it to you, so you don't have, your, like, <laughs> clicks.
0: Hold on. Where is it? Is it, like, a link? Like, a hyperlink? No, it's like a, it's like a post. Huh. Because the, the post that 82 was originally posted on, and the one yeah, that's... Yeah, there's, like, two 82s. There's sometimes, huh. like, sometimes they'll be numbered in this really weird way in the collective one. Ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh. So this is like an interlude post, basically. Yeah, it's an interlude post. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'll check that out. That wasn't listed in the the wiki. Like you, like with with Fairy Queen, it brought me to you know Fairy Queen because that was the next in the list. Uh-huh. But this one just wasn't placed oh, no, in the like list. How
1: loud. <laughs> it's
0: like there's like two eighty
1: twos. Why I guess.
0: Huh. So it's like. 82.1. Yeah. There was one part that, like, while reading it, it made me think of the Ava uh, the finale. I think it was in 82. Oh, oh, yeah. Go on. How long had I shut myself away from life in that goddamn apartment with that goddamn bottle? Mm-hmm. Up until anything was possible, I saw now the glowing door open before me. I saw all doors open, all doors open and aligned, one after another. And behind them all, there was, and then the cutoff. And I was like, wow, just like Ava. Just, congratulations! <laughs> I think they're both really comparable stories.
1: Except one has like a, I don't know where this is going, so they might be exactly comparable stories. Yeah. But like, very nice, like, watch and read side by side. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think- that's the two thing, too. Like, in that series, the angels feel appropriately, like, that this kind of, like, note this series is trying to
0: hit but missing for me. hmm I mean, because- because they're not really angels. They're just, like, flesh beasts from the mother. Like, yeah. they're- they're supposed to resemble angels so that we get the idea of the thing that it is, but, like- I think he just kind of wants to write, like, spooky monsters also, That's, a little bit. It did, it did just feel like a spooky, like, like look at my monster now, are you looking? Okay. <laughs> like, ooh, it has, like, spider teeth and bat wings and a s- giant snake penis.
1: <laughs> I also pulled a sentence from that section sec- out that when he's talking about the apartment, he's like, what dreams I had, what desperate little
0: dreams. I was like, I like how aching this is. <laughs> I actually like I I like the tone that he normally writes in, and when he goes into these sort of like more um labored mm-hmm. uh, tone, I find it kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like shut I, up, man, talk normally. Like I know you <laughs> don't talk like that. No, I I felt like that. Okay, okay.
1: Like I had taken the sentence out in the back of my mind. I was like, I bet you don't thinks this part is annoying. Like, yeah, a lot of it is really belabored, but there's something about that is th- there's, like, certain points I'm like, this is really belabored, but there's, like, the energy to it is nice. Mm-hmm. There's, like, there's like, a level of, like, belabored writing is, like, I'm not, like, reading this as you were, like, I'm, like, thinking about, like, the person who was writing about this at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about him doing, writing it in this way and, like, what's he doing <laughs> as a character
0: like I'm I'm thinking about that too but I'm thinking about the fact that like Nick thought that that would sound really oh, cool and true. dramatic because it sounds like something you would read in you know like old romantic poetry
1: yeah you'd body him
0: you'd see in the street <laughs> I don't mind like when it comes from someone who is writing in that time period where Mm. like that was the style of the day I'm like yeah that's normal that doesn't feel like a put-on where like a lot of times when like modern contemporary artists do that it is specifically because they're trying to capture a certain kind of voice or a tone so that you think of them in a certain way that's the thing that annoys me yeah I, I
1: agree I agree with that there's something about his novelist persona this alcoholic novelist persona that he the the thing the performance he's doing is really catching me though (laughs) i can't i don't know if i can put it into words other than like i I like the vibe of his (laughs) of his like masks
0: he's wearing i i think it's cool that it's specifically it is, it is meant to be like a subversion of the alcoholic novelist, because he's like, I wanted to be a Bukowski, I wanted to, you know, emulate my heroes, and, like, Bukowski was a fucking piece of yeah, shit, like an he, absolute yeah, asshole, worthless human being. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, oh, even p- beyond oh, that.
1: Pick me. Jo- Jonah, pick me. Yeah? The group of, like, books and authors and stuff he pulls here, one. Every podcast sphere was, like, running ads for, like, Audible around this time, telling you to (laughs) read 100 years of solitude and turn the screw and fucking... Also, he cites, um, an author,
0: but, like, she's a fictional character. Oh? Who? Hold on. Anna Karenina is a Tolstoy novel. Yeah. Like, he cites her as an author. He's not citing her as an author. He's he's talking about the book. He's never read Anna Karenina. Oh, I assumed because he groups her with Henry James
1: in like a series of after the book, next to the author.
0: I I I think he was he was just saying like
1: oh it's just i I've never sequence. read this
0: Tolstoy novel. I've never read a Henry James book like that. kind of. Oh, I of, see. I see. I like. I don't think it was intentionally like.
1: I was like, oh look, that's a fun like timeline thing. But it's just him having a really sloppy series of things together. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> I was giving him the benefit of the doubt of organizing his sentence.
0: <laughs> I've I've read Anna Karenina, so I, I just oh, sort really? of like read that and I process Yeah, yeah. I read it in <laughs> this is- I made a really stupid dis I read it when I was like fourteen. Specifically That's so cool. We- Jenna. I, I was it was it was for English class that I read it. We weren't assigned to read it. We were told to choose a book for like a book report. <laughs> That's so And funny. I went to the library and we were supposed to like buddy read it with someone. Oh my god. And I went to the library and I picked out Anna Karenina with and my friend agreed to it. We uh-huh. were both foolish. Uh, yes. It is it is like a thousand fucking page book. It is yeah, so fucking long. it's a long. serious read. It, <laughs> it's it's very, very dense, it's long, um subject matter not really appropriate for 14-year-olds. Not in that like, oh 14-year-old shouldn't be reading this, but it's no. like things that a 14-year-old's not gonna really understand about like ennui and stuff. I think it's uh. <laughs> saying like,
1: freedom like young students get in like literature and stuff in school <laughs> sections like they're not getting anything out of this. You're not teaching them anything, really. <laughs> like,
0: what a waste of time sometimes. <laughs> but I I put it off for, like, a month. I, I read, like, 100 pages of it, and then I basically stopped reading. And I had a week left to read it. And I I literally just read, like, 150 pages a night of Anna Karenina for a week um, so oh, that, that, that I could finish so, the book. That's so intense. <laughs> And then I didn't even do like the assignment that I was supposed to do for. I just f- wanted to finish the book because I said that I was going to. No, My friend didn't finish more... it either. She watched the movie and then wrote her assignment oh, about I didn't know it. So was a
1: movie, I'm so ignorant. yeah.
0: There's there's been like multiple movies. Oh, uh, obviously those. But like
1: in that section, I had a really like bizarre, I guess, fa- uh, Henry James phase in high school. Huh. Yeah, I've I've never read Henry James actually. I don't think. Uh, it's okay. the The link in the section goes to a phishing site, uh, uh, like a like an information <laughs> phishing site. Date as a masking as a dating site.
0: That's so, really funny.
1: Yeah, Why?
0: <laughs> they just like drop malware on the reader.
1: <laughs> so if you're clicking along, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I I'd say like a, a gothic literature essential mm. readings. Yeah, and I like I like some of his. Tone. I sh- should read more. Yeah, me too. We're busy reading Mother Horse Eyes. <laughs> when he's talking to his roommate, I really like the repeating paragraphs. But he also drops a slur that he is not allowed to use. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's quoting him in dialogue. Still shouldn't do he's it. Guy who doesn't exist. It is, it is one of the handful of cases where I can see someone being able to argue it yeah. without immediately being dismissed for, for dumb, dumb racism. Yeah. But, like, you still shouldn't do it. Yeah, there's also, like,
1: especially, like, in 2016 question mark, there was yeah. a lot of, like, debate whether it was, like, better to use it, like, if censoring it was, like, worse in some way, you know what I mean? But, like, I think yeah. there's been a lot, like a lot of good discourse about it where it's like don't use it (laughs) you can figure out different ways to express these things like you can say that he said stuff like this without being like on your
0: keyboard typing (laughs) have you seen sorry to bother you no i haven't it's 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 directed by boots riley it is about capitalist black assimilation Mm. and like The way that, like, basically, if you want to social climb, you need to be appealing to white people in a Mm -hmm. certain way and, like, to give license to white people in a certain way. Basically, okay, there's a segment where Cassius Green, the main character, he is at a function with his... Like, his his boss's connections and his, like, wealthy white coworkers,
1: mm-hmm. And
0: they pressure him to, like... It, this is in my memory. It's been a couple of years since I watched mm-hmm. it. It's really, really good.
1: Um, mm-hmm. They, they pressure soon. him
0: to, like, go up and freestyle. And he starts sort of, like, mumbling along, trying to say something. And the crowd is, like, not reacting. They're not getting into it. So he just starts saying the N-word. And they just chant along with him, so excited to be able to, like, mimic him back. And, like, that scene would not have worked if the white people in that scene had not agreed to be directed by Boots Riley to say the N-word. But, like, (laughs) that's a fringe case, you know? Yeah. And it took a really long time for me to describe what that scene entails and why it's important for for (laughs) these actors to say that in that context.
1: Yeah. But it's also, like, it's it's forming the basis of the commentary, right? Yeah. Like, people only want to, like, certain kinds of people only want to engage in cultures in a certain kind of way. When it's, yeah. like, supporting their preconceived, like, feelings about it.
0: Which is, like, a thing that I think unintentionally is happening with the character of Sean and the yeah. way that Nick sort of allows himself to use that character. Yeah.
1: Even though he is someone who uses coke, even though he is someone who holds these really, like, like these sort of beliefs, it's like he's using him as this, like, caricature character to
0: push the story forward. Yeah, like, he, he doesn't exist to be, like, a fully realized person. In the same way that the Nameless Jew doesn't exist to be a fully realized person. They are yeah. sort of props that enable the perspective character to pursue something. Like, mm-hmm. the Nameless Jew and Sean serve basically the same purpose yeah. in the story, fundamentally, which is yeah. to enlighten the perspective character. Yeah, with their mystic otherness. And, like, Sean does it in in a very different way, from the nameless Jew, but it is still serving the same narrative function. That being said, though, I do think, like, that ending part of Sean's narrative, like the end of '85, uh, I do think that it does fucking rule. Like, <laughs> the, yeah, no,
1: I, Sean, yeah, that part of the storyline. Right before that, though, I want to say for '84, there was something about the maze stuff I like, didn't like at all,
0: but I really like the, the fiber optic cables. Like the like the debate about transhumanism, right? Like yeah, flesh yeah. versus machinery versus like, what if the two were the same thing? What if you could integrate them? Is I think kind of like that sort of cyberpunky, like nasty, like that like H.R. Geiger. Kind of, like that's what I picture is like yeah. a fucked up like H.R. Geiger beast when they talk about integrating cables into the interface.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed like it. Not spelling out the use of cables rather than, like, expecting you to figure out what the functions of these cables were because, like, we don't call them anything like this in, like, day-to-day talk. But there's something about the maze stuff I really didn't like, and I'm not sure I know it's building up it's probably building up to something later on that's more like
0: I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know. What specifically was it? was just like...
1: I was just like, oh, I don't want to read this anymore. <sighs>
0: When you say the maze stuff, you mean, like, the ant farms taking the shape of, like, the the researchers' buildings?
1: Something about it felt really, like, you know an SCPU and stuff gets sort of, like, (laughs) self-indulgent in
0: a way? I I don't read SCP. (laughs) I mean, I've I've read it, but I try to avoid it when I can. Like, specifically because I I do know what you mean when you say when it gets self-indulgent. Oh, that's what I
1: mean, then. Yeah, it felt self-indulgent in a way that I didn't enjoy, but at the same time, I really enjoyed the fiber-optic cables in the meat space. So, <laughs> it was a really, like...
0: Because the idea is that, like, essentially the interface and and the portals are building a kind of heat map yeah. of our world. Like, it, it's a reversal of, of the interface. The input is the movements of all these individual people going about their lives and the output is like that is what the interface does it is a mapping tool basically for this thing on the other side to process us the same way we are trying to process what's over there
1: i think it's less of like what it's about and more like how it was written how like the information (laughs) is presented okay i felt like it was a choice. i thought i thought that particular section was like it's really weird because there's like like individual parts of that thing that I really really enjoyed reading and
0: I was like uh, I'm I need to get I need to get to this part here with the stuff in Sean's last narrative in in 85 the story is overall pretty sparing with the use of like Christian imagery that we tend to see it like you know like the angel references and uh-huh. like the 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 angels in the the watcher narrative and the uh-huh. angel in like Zhen Zhen's story uh-huh. being being you know these harbingers but we don't get a lot of references to like open references to like Garden of Eden kind of stuff which yeah. you would expect a little bit more like we have like little bits the the, the two times we've really had it is like yeah. Demon Penis Land and this with the mention of applesauce uh-huh. like. I think, like, in like little
1: ways, through like the military stuff, we get kind of like connections to like the garden and like the serpent and the tree and stuff. But it's really like, like you have to like connect logic to get to it. But this is yeah. like way direct.
0: Yeah. Oh, and also like the the angel's penis being likened to a snake by yeah. the Centauriad, like yeah, l- literally like granting some kind of forbidden knowledge to prehistoric man through inserting the genome or whatever.
1: In the way that like Falaki and like Yaniki stuff was like reverse, like the desert ends up being like the garden even though they're like the slush land cuz like that's like the forbidden area with this like forbidden knowledge. Anyway, but to the to the, to the last one we read, which was a really Like, 84 had left me kind of, like, tired, I guess, but, like, when I got to 85, I was like, oh, I want to keep reading. I want to know this is going again. (laughs) It's, like, the apple baby food and, like, the sudden fixation of, like, the daughter being, like, like, obviously she's a baby and nothing untoward is happening, but it still has this sort of, like, intense focus of, like, the body. Suddenly, you know? Yes. Yeah. This door that had been very, like, up overhead narrative.
0: Yeah, and it's also bringing back that imagery of, like, the innocence of a child, but, like, comparing it to. And, and, and specifically, yeah. the, the, the innocence of a girl child, and yeah, comparing yeah. it to this temptation of knowledge. And Rance I mean, a Tunnel. Yeah, like a dark tunnel full of human bodies you know it's it's a sort of evil inverse womb whatever yeah with 84 I think maybe the thing that was like annoying about it compared to 85 like 85 is telling a story Mm mm-hmm Where eighty four feels like it is just giving exposition on like mechanics again, which we've had a lot of mechanics in the story, and we haven't had like a mechanics dump in quite a while.
1: Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe this is like, like, I get really annoyed when stuff
0: tone slides backwards, (laughs) and that might be what it is. Yeah, because that feels like information that we could have gotten earlier on if Nick had thought of it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I really enjoyed that, too. He's, like, out loud, speculating in our voice, the reader voice. Yeah. Of, like, how is he writing? It's, like, how much has he been pre-planning and all that kind of stuff. I really
0: enjoyed that. I know that kind of meta can be insufferable, but something about I found it insufferable. I know. Specifically because it is, like, especially, like- with, with hindsight, reading it as a full piece, I feel like it's really obvious that he's making a lot of stuff up as he yeah. goes along.
1: Okay, you know how people have been saying this would work on me on silly <laughs> stuff online? <laughs> that would be like if I was reblogging Mother Horse Eyes a funny relatable post, and I said this would work on me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh wow oh, gosh, I wonder if he is making up as he goes no. along or if he has a plan. Somehow I <laughs> do say that out loud with my mouth, but something
1: about something about like the stuff that's I I I know I know it's insufferable. I know what he's doing is really annoying. I know even if it's on meta commentary, a level of that is like obnoxious. But something about it's char- hitting a, a point that I think is really
0: charming. It's I'm... very hussy-ish, is the thing that it feels like to me. <laughs> I, I think that's like like if I had never okay if I had never read Homestuck I would be a completely different person and I can't make judgments about be. that but if I had never read Homestuck and 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 was not familiar with Hussey's voice and I read that I think I would be like oh huh I wonder if he is but like at the, at the, like having read Homestuck and like hating Hussey so much
1: maybe I'm like <laughs> maybe I'm like returning to the high school scrapbook. I'm like, oh, my, my, my teen crush aesthetic is what I'm feeling reading these. It's like, it's like, it's like what, like, what if I find really, really, really annoying about stuff like John dies in the It's like being self-aware enough about that that's avoiding stuff I find annoying except when times I am annoyed.
0: And I'm just like, oh, I don't know. It's not annoying except when it's annoying very insightful. I,
1: thank you, Jenna. <laughs> I'm sorry that was mean. <laughs> I hope you're insightful on our literary podcast. <laughs>
0: It's also, for me, like, having been in a position now where I was writing a story that I did make up as I went along, even though it was on a much smaller scale, uh, like, Nick points out, and I do agree, it is a lot easier than you think to make a story seem elaborately planned. As a writer, you have the privilege of seeing the story from the inside. Like, you get to see the whole shape of it at once. So as long as you read back over stuff you've already published, if you don't know where to go next, all you have to do is pick a few threads to pull forward. Like, I think having an anti-Semitic roommate and a a housemate who's a Marine are responses to knowing he has these threads earlier on in the story. And knowing he's taking this more meta route, he decides, like, okay, here are the understandable points of reference that Nick, the character, would make in his real life that inspire the story. I've had times where I've completely written myself into a corner and then gone and read back through my old chapters and realized like, oh my god, here's the solution. And if you just write in details to populate your story, if you're ever at a loss, you can go back and retroactively make one of those details matter. One of the things I, I noticed and, and was thinking about is that Children of the Forest, I feel like, mm-hmm. is really, really, like, really obviously borrowing from Polybius. Oh, Yes. Like, one, because Mother Horse Eyes is sort of trafficking in urban myth conspiracy kind of stuff, but also, like, Polybius is supposed to have been, like, a CIA experiment to, like, select or condition young subjects. The gameplay is primarily, like, geometrical and causes distress and nausea. Okay, there's a plot point about that
1: in Ghost in the Shell, where, like, a bunch of, like, gifted children are, like, hooked up to machines, and they're like, (laughs) doing that kind of, like, neural network learning through video games, one. Mm -hmm. Two, also, I really enjoy the setting of an arcade, of, like, this research facility center and then masking it as an arcade, as, like, a gaming area, as, like, a children's home, but it's obviously, like, a testing facility, that was a really nice, like, layering of that.
0: Yeah. And she never refers to it as being, like, a research facility or anything, like, she continues calling it a group home. It's, like, her home, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really
1: it's really restrained in a story that's often not very restrained with stuff. Yeah. Like it was nice. Good note. <laughs> and I also was thinking about like how aggressive marketing of like individual capitalism stops there from being arcades which are themselves like an avenue of like aggressive capitalism and how it in devouring itself is it and like <laughs> like how we've lost this kind of like social gathering area
0: and this style of like art basically for in- for home sales yeah because like even though spaces like malls and arcades are like capitalist and other other sort of spaces like that mm-hmm. because it requires more overhead to run and maintain mm-hmm. a place like like a social space for people to go with their bodies rather than, like, it is, it costs much less to, like, just, like, invade someone's home Mm -hmm. with something than to provide a social space.
1: And, like, this is, like, this goes over the trajectory of, like, Karen's life, basically. Like, she has, like, social area, and then they jack her into, like, the individual feed and, like, the continued procedure
0: that, like, limits her social network. Yeah, just being, like, atomized further and further. Even though, like, it's being done with the promise of, like, you'll be able to socialize so much more and so much more easily in the same way that, like, the internet was was promised to a lot of people mm-hmm. to be that. Like, oh, you'll be able to instantaneously connect to, to thousands of people around the world, and you can, but because we are no longer in physical three-dimensional space, you lose out on a, a, a significant aspect of socializing because you have to pay to use the internet is, yeah is is a big part of it
1: yeah like the things we used to have like if we had the internet plus these things that were like forcefully eroded from our lives like like they continue trimming down so people are more like thread through like monopolies and like controllable like
0: yeah and like if if, if you only socialize at home is the to market too? And, and, and especially now with like work from home kind of stuff, mm-hmm. everything is contained in one place. things are delivered straight to your house. you are are not able to escape from the things that are finding you at home, you know, your work yeah. and your chores and blah blah blah. And also like when you when you' are using a space that is owned, by someone else. Oh, yeah. In in 67, he has this sort of, like, long discussion about the purpose of an interface. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the internet is an interface that exists the way that it does so that you can be sold products. Like, the internet, the modern internet, is an interface for putting ads in front of you. Yeah. And, like, that metaphor falling all the way down, like, we were talking about way, mm. way long ago there's a series of complex mechanisms underneath this society that are obfuscated by restricted inputs and outputs like mm-hmm. your consumption choices your like personal identity markers like you yeah. have a series of acceptable modes for expression that will give you a series of you know desirable outcomes mm-hmm. And deviation from that is either criminalized or socially punished. Yeah, yeah. Like society's the interface. Last
1: time we were talking about sort of like the American Dream, like the fifties and something being like something he's pining for. In I think seventy nine, he like talks about like a guy coming in, and he has like this revelation about this guy. And I guess in, the, in, in that one, is sort of, like, pining for, like, a father figure in this concept,
0: but I also wrote gay boy moments. Oh, 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 that's 80. That's some um, oh, tragic sorry. haircut.
1: Yeah, haircut. 79 down. is the
0: poem. Ah, my bad. Yeah, 80. Yeah, yeah. Also, I think he was really lowballing his
1: alcoholic hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, tragic haircut is about, like, seeing this image of, like... Like, what what should be an image of, like, perfect idealized 50s masculinity be, like, tarnished and ruined by, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the ravages of alcoholism. But then also, like, I guess deriving some kind of hope from that. Like, I I struggle to, because, like, this is fundamentally an experience that I cannot relate to in any way.
1: When I Mm -hmm. see
0: a, a man who looks like a Republican in public... Um, I, because, I don't have any hope when I see that. Actually,
1: it's a very bizarre, bizarre. I don't know. There's a very strong libertarian like vibe <laughs> throughout some of these. Yeah.
0: Like, there's an the
1: earlier ones you can be like, yeah, but like a lot of these are like making like these are just like
0: arguments you'd understand if you were a libertarian. I, think. <laughs> I guess for like a straight white cis guy, who, which is what Nick presumably is, <laughs> it probably yeah. is in some way, like, comforting to see this sort of, like, projected father figure in in public, like, living their, their lives and obviously struggling in the same way that you do. Like, maybe the idea of knowing you can grow old and fuck yourself up and you'll still be around and have, like, a life worth living... Or, like, that your dad is also a fuck-up in some way? Like, the realization that your dad is just a guy? I I, I yeah. think is maybe what the implication is, but I'm really not sure how to read that moment. Like, I don't know what that means. I, I
1: assumed he was having a homosexual moment, so that's where I landed on that one.
0: <laughs> not, not not serious, but, like... <laughs> you were like, it might as well be this, because I, you know, who knows what else it could be? Yeah. <laughs> I
1: think that makes for the better story than whatever sort of like (laughs) moment he was having.
0: (laughs) Mother Horse Eyes Endgame is the gay misogynist play. (laughs) Well, it looks like we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. Let us know your thoughts on Mother Horse Eyes. Give us a like and share us with your friends. Next episode, we finish Mother Horse Eyes, from narratives 86 to the end. This has been the Creepypasta Book Club. Thank you, and good night.